Hello and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm your host, Ellie Krieger. Think you don't have enough time to cook? Well, think again, because my guest today is sharing shortcuts for making incredibly flavorful meals in just 15 minutes. Allie Rosen is the Emmy and James Beard Award-nominated host of the TV show, Potluck with Allie Rosen. She is the best-selling author of three cookbooks. Her latest is 15-Minute Meals. And she's been featured everywhere, from the Today Show to the New York Times, and has written for publications including Bon Appetit, Wine Enthusiast, and New York Magazine. She also happens to be a good friend of mine. Please welcome Allie Rosen. Allie Rosen, it is so good to have you here. And I should say, so good to have you back here. You have the distinction, maybe dubious, no, it's an honor, honorific (laughs) distinction of being my very first guest that I've had on for a second time. And I can't think of anyone more deserving of that and who I'm more just happy to talk with and has so many incredible insights. So thrilled to have you here. Thank you for having me again. I mean, I, you know, I mean, obviously I would take any opportunity to chat with you. So this is just sort of an extension of our life, really. Yes, this is an extension <laughs> of what we do. So welcome everyone to our conversation. Exactly. Just this one. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And so your new book is 15 Minute Meals. And one of the reasons why I think we connect so much as friends, but I think we also connect so much sort of on the cooking front is that we're really all about making cooking really accessible for people and practical and doable. And so, I mean, what is more accessible than 15 minute meals? Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think that that's an important thing, you know, people, there are books that you buy to read and learn, and then there are books that you buy just to get through your day, but still have your food feel exciting and fun. And so I think both types of books are important, but yeah, you and I are both of the camp of like, we would like to make people's lives easier and figure out the ways to do that. That still feels healthy, delicious, fun, and not a slog. Right. Taking the slog element out of it, I think is really important. Um, And I love that the name of your book, it's 15 Minute Meals, Truly Quick Recipes That Don't Taste Like Shortcuts. And I think that's important too, because yeah, anyone could maybe get a meal on the table in 15 minutes that's sort of like lame. (laughs) Right. Well, exactly. I mean, anyone can, I guess, like heat up, you know, whatever, but it's not it doesn't feel like you've accomplished something. So my goal was really to write recipes that were quick, but didn't taste quick, you know, that still had that depth of flavor that we're hoping for in something delicious. Um, but that, but that really could be done in 15 minutes, you know, not 15 minutes of prep, not, you know, 15 minutes and then you stick it in an oven, but really like start to finish. I'm walking over to my fridge to on the table in 15 minutes. And that is impressive and not easy to do. And the and I know this because I have a 30-minute cookbook and I found that to be also a challenge. So 15, I mean, you're definitely pushing the envelope, but I love the recipes in the book. They're not only fast, but they're super inspired. Like each one has a sort of wow factor to it that um, that makes me want to make it. And I love that about it. So, and we, we can talk more about the specific recipes yeah. in this conversation, but I really want to talk first of all about 
more about your inspiration for the book and then sharing some of the more general shortcuts and stuff that you use, uh, shortcuts and and little tips that you have. Um, and then maybe we can talk about some of your favorite recipes in the book. I, I know I see so many that I love, but I know kind of what your inspiration. So you're a mom of three small children yeah. <laughs> with a thriving career. So it's not a huge mystery <laughs> what inspired okay. you to write a 15-minute recipe book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it was really COVID, you know, during the start of COVID, my son was out of school and I was trying to find activities for him and I was cooking three meals a day for everyone in my house. And it was, it just kind of became like a fun thing. You know, my son at the time was like five and we started doing it like, you know, when Instagram live was sort of a thing for a minute and everyone was like, I just need human connection. So I'm going to jump on Instagram. We started doing 15 minute lunches. You know, we would see like, what do we have in the cabinet? And I mean, if you remember at that time, like groceries were very weird, you know, like you couldn't get everything. There was a lot more, we were using a lot more canned ingredients, frozen ingredients, because we were all sort of like worried that things would go out of stock. So we were bulking up on things. And so we started with this goal of like, can we get stuff done in 15 minutes? And I was sort of shocked at how much we could get done. And because I was doing it with a little kid, I was trying to figure out how to do things without chopping so much and how to do things without a lot of, you know, prep work. So it, it all kind of went hand in hand. And I was kind of shocked by how many things you could get done in 15 minutes and the shortcuts that I think in past years would have felt like shortcuts. But now because the quality of canned and frozen ingredients has really skyrocketed, I mean, really just in the last five or 10 years, you know, it's 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 amazing what you can get now at a grocery store um, in terms of the quality of canned food, of frozen food. So it really started percolating for me, like this isn't as unrealistic as it sounds, you know, it kind of started as a joke and it turned into something real. Yeah, and it's super helpful because I think it, that time factor really prevents people from making dinner, right? That oh. they, they feel like it's going to take a lot of time. But actually, I think that's very just often a perception more than a reality. Yeah. But some recipes are certainly involved and some dishes are more involved. And so paring it down to like this bare minimum really makes it um, feel so doable for just about anyone. And it's kind of cool that you did a lot of these recipes with guy, your son guy, yeah. who at the time was how old? I mean, you can involve like, children in this. Yeah, he was like four or four or five. I mean, really little, you know, pretty little. Um, and he, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the things that are high heat, obviously he can't do, but a lot of it was figuring out like, you know, what vegetables don't need to be chopped as much or can be, you know, like he has a little kid knife. So it's like things like bok choy, which cut really easily and quickly, you know, that's much easier for him than broccoli. And side note, if it cuts really easily, it probably cooks faster because it's thinner, you know, so it really kind of gave me a lot of inspiration for what things could work and what things didn't. So you're kind of touching upon some of your tips and tricks already, but like, let's dig in because in your intro, you talk about certain specific tricks. So one is, and, and this is actually something I've used as well, the idea of like no prep vegetables. So let's like just dig into this, no prep vegetables. So 
you name a you name a couple, I'll name a couple. Let's let, let's have a little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's outside, have a little round outside of the frozen ones, which I love. I mean, frozen peas, frozen broccoli. There are fresh vegetables. I mean, snap peas um, are amazing and require nothing. You know, mung beans. I think people don't think of you know, or bean sprouts of any kind. You know, you just throw in. I also think sort of pre-prepped things that we kind of scoff at, like you know, shredded carrots and things like that. I mean, you're getting the same health benefits, but it, it doesn't feel as, you know, laborious. So I think it's it's a combination of some things that are pre-prepped, like frozen ingredients or shredded ingredients, and then some things that are just easy on their own. Like, I mean, bok choy is a great example of that. Absolutely. And like, I love baby spinach, such an, like pre-washed greens that you just kind of like toss into the pan yeah. and you don't have to do anything. Um, another one, I love just like grape tomatoes. I mean, maybe you have them if you feel like it, but you really kind of don't even have to. No, no, you definitely don't. And people love that. Like that the pop of it is actually better if you don't cut it, you know? So yeah. You also mentioned asparagus, which also yeah. is, is such a quick cooking. I mean, just put it on a I mean, snap the ends off, put it on a pan and roast it. It's like right. 12 minutes. Right. I mean, your broiler is your best friend. I think we sort of, it's really weird how in the summer we all turn to our grill, but then we don't use the broiler. I think because we're really afraid of high heat um, and to really broil something well, you have to not only have the broiler on, but you have to stick the food like right underneath it. So I think that scares a lot of people. But there's a reason why we love grilled food so much because that char actually adds flavor. So it's kind of a funny thing where it's like, oh, this is actually faster and often makes the food taste better. So you just have to sort of get past your fear of high heat. Yeah. And I love that notion of the broiler being sort of like an upside down grill that you don't really have to take a lot of time to heat or step outside to use or anything like that. And I love your uh, grilled romaine, your not grilled, <laughs> broiled romaine yeah. salad that kicks off the book, basically. I love, I love that salad. And I mean, that was another thing of like, what are sort of hearty, hefty things that don't take a long time? And again, like with, you know, romaine and with sort of salad greens, we sort of don't think of cooking them as much. I mean, we cook cabbage because that's heftier but then there are other greens and i mean i think romaine is one of the perfect things like you just grill it and it has so much texture and it can absorb whatever flavor you know it has it has a flavor but it's really a canvas for any flavor and it's just like it's so easy and, and healthy. i mean and that you just have to cut it in half you don't have to <laughs> really fuss with it too much. Um, but I think this whole notion in terms of vegetables, so seeking out, so the tip being seeking out vegetables that are quick cooking and no prep, no or zero or low prep. Yeah. And then, so fresh vegetables in that, in that category, but also there's this sense of shame or something that people have around using um, frozen or using pre- pre-cut vegetables. And I want to just really erase that for people right now from a nutritional point of view, frozen vegetables, not just plain frozen, not with sauces and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but plain yeah. frozen vegetables have a comparable nutritional quality to fresh cooked. So you're really not compromising from a nutritional point of view. When you cut a vegetable, you do lose some nutrients, but the way they package them, they're cut and packaged so quickly that it really, you're not compromising much. And if it's making the difference between making dinner or 
ordering something in that's probably much less good for you, right. you're yeah. really coming out ahead. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, with my last book, which was about freezer food. So obviously I'm an evangelist of the freezer. Um, a lot of the research that I did was fascinating on the studies that have been done about nutritional content and freezing, because I think people sort of still think of frozen food the way that their mothers and grandmothers did. And I don't think that people understand that the technology around freezing has really grown in recent years. So, I mean, when we talk about flash freezing, we're talking about getting something to a temperature much faster than it was before. So you're you're getting less ice crystals, you're losing less. Um, so when something is picked and then that day flash frozen, it often can be more nutritional, you know, have more nutritional content than something that you buy, like you buy, you know, a head of broccoli, let it sit in your fridge for a week and a half and then take it out. I mean, it's, it, it's weirdly in a way fresher, um, even though it's frozen. So I think as long as you're looking at high quality frozen vegetables and vegetables, exactly as you said, where if you look at the packaging, there should be no other ingredients. I mean, when you look at the ingredients, it should just say peas or broccoli, or, you know, there shouldn't be anything else. Um, and again, the quality of that, I mean, if you look at some of the organic brands, the quality of those is really excellent. So I sort of look at it as, you know, I like to buy things from the farmer's market that are in season. So if broccoli is in season, great, I will buy it from the farmer's market. If it's not, unless I want to have a whole head of it, it's like, it's not even worth buying the fresh one because you're getting, I mean, it's more work and it might not even be as fresh. So, you know, it's kind of this thing of like, have your cake and eat it too, you know? Like, right. Totally. And then you started to talk about the quality of certain prepared foods, like canned and frozen items other than vegetables. One for me that I have sort of had a revelation with over the past, like, couple of years or year or so is frozen grains. So frozen brown rice is so good. Frozen quinoa. I mean, quinoa is so fast to cook anyway. It takes more than 15 minutes, but frozen will definitely keep you in your 15 minute zone. Yeah. And um and frozen br and brown rice takes quite, you know, almost an hour to cook. So to buy a bag of frozen brown rice and just have that on hand, it's amazing. Right. And I think that people get into this idea of like oh, well, quinoa only takes 20 minutes to cook, so it's so fast. You know, some days that is going to be the difference between making it and not making it. You know, we want, we all in our better versions of ourselves want to say we have this time, but there are so many nights where you're just tired and you just want to eat something. So pulling it out of the freezer is totally fine. You know, I know there's a lot of rice evangelists who would say the texture of the frozen rice is not the same. Well, okay, it's not the same, but it's it's still pretty great, you know? Like it's not perfect, but it's pretty great and if it's the difference between making something and not making something, I am I'm a huge fan of the frozen and of the canned things. I mean, you actually turned me on to canned lentils. There's a there's a recipe in the book for a lentil skillet that is inspired by you because I have always been a huge lentil person and I never thought to use canned lentils. And then you had that recipe in your book, Hole in One, and I was like, this is amazing because the lentils are great. And again, like the quality now, I mean, it used to be there would be preservatives. There would be a lot of sodium. I mean, now you can find higher quality brands, organic brands, I mean, beans and lentils and anything like that, where 
you don't even really have to rinse them. I mean, that because it's it's like the standard has just been raised so much. So yeah, it's like it's great if you want to make these things from scratch. They are, you know, there are very solid arguments to be made. And when I go to a restaurant and they've handmade tahini by soaking chickpeas, I mean, yes, I can certainly taste that difference. But, you know, on a Tuesday night when I want to make like a chana masala for my kids and just throw some stuff in a pan, like the the canned chickpeas are a, like a gift, you know? Totally. I am a huge fan of canned beans of any kind. If you looked in my cupboard, I have to do like a photo of it one day. I have every single variety, like you name it. I have that variety, including lentils, as you say. Really Um, changed my whole life. Yay. Um, Another one, another tip that you give in your intro in terms of like a high level, like this is how you do this 15 minute, minute meal thing is to use thinner cuts of protein. So thinner cuts or ground protein. So like, let's dig into that a little bit. What do you mean by that? And how does that make the difference to getting it to be a really fast meal? It's not only fast. I think it mentally helps people as well, because like cutting proteins, there's, there's a, you know, I have to get a separate cutting board and then I have to wash that cutting board. You know, if you're getting a chicken breast and you're dicing the chicken breast, I mean, that that can, again, be like, it's all those little things that can be like the little difference of like, I don't want to do this, you know? So ground chicken, um, you know, it doesn't, it, it can, ground meats can dry out faster. I mean, so you have to be careful of that, but the flavor, it's the, it's the flavor is there and you can do it super. I mean, you actually want to do it quickly so it doesn't dry out and you can brown again, high heat, you can brown it so you can get the same level of caramelization, Um, And then there's also cuts that you can buy that are already thin. You know, you can get chicken breasts that are thinly sliced chicken breasts. I mean, those you can do under your broiler in like four minutes. You know, that's extremely fast. When we look at fish, um, you know, a lot of thinner cuts of fish, again, under the broiler, take five minutes. So it's not that, again, like there's not a day. I mean, I, I am a big, like, I love a roast chicken, you know, like I love a you know, turn the oven on and roast the chicken the whole afternoon. I mean, those meals are wonderful, but I think that um, we sort of assume ground meat means like a patty of some kind. And instead, I think especially for things like rice bowls, for tacos, um, you know, to have a taco with the texture that you're getting from the taco and to spend the time slicing up your chicken breast, I'm not really sure that you're getting the texture from the breast as much in the taco to make it worth that extra work. So ground meats, I mean, I had never really been a person who used ground meats because I always thought of it as it's the lesser quality, it's the lesser cuts. But um, yeah, now I'm sort of like, why have we not been doing this? I mean, I know some people have been doing that all along, but that that was a big change for me during sort of- Oh, that's cool. And I I thought about and with those thin cuts of chicken and so on, I've thought about the quicker cooking time, but I hadn't thought about just taking the prep out of it because it really is that step that you don't really have to take to prep it in any way. So right. that's like, that's really cool. Because and, cleanup counts too. You know, I mean, it's not, listen, it's not 15 minutes without the cleanup, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I you want to sort of also reduce the amount that you're cleaning. Yeah, totally. Um I, I say it's the, I'm reducing the amount that my husband is cleaning because he's the one who does that, thankfully. Um, but the other part of it is um, 
fish. I think you have a lot of amazing seafood recipes. And to me, fish just in general, thin cut or not, it cooks so fast. It's so fast. And even it thaws so fast. So if you forget to buy something, and speaking of fresher frozen, a lot of times fish, depending on where you are in the country and your markets, your fish markets, I've been to a lot of places where the fish at the counter looks just sad. And the fish that is frozen is frozen right on the boat, right as soon as it gets off the boat or sometimes on the boat. And it actually tastes fresher than a lot of the quote unquote fresh fresh fish. Absolutely. And you can even cook frozen fish from frozen. Yes. And it's fast. It's it's, so fast. Yeah. And I think also we forget sometimes about a lot of the other seafood things that are fast as well, like as weeknight staples, like shrimp and mussels and clams. You know, we think of those as being kind of fancy, um, but they actually can be very, I mean, mussels are very inexpensive and very quick cooking and I think people think it's something they can only make in a restaurant. And it's really one of the most, it's like the kind of recipe that if you have a person who says they can't cook, like mussels is a thing that they can cook. But I think we just sort of think of it as a special occasion thing, what it actually should be like, you know, I mean, speaking of bok choy, it's like there's a recipe in the book for like, you know, you have mussels, you can throw some white wine in there. You throw some bok choy on top and let that steam along with the mussels, serve that with a chunk of bread and you're done. I mean, you have a whole meal. It's a beautiful meal. And it's actually, it's funny to me because when I was in France with my daughter, when she was five years old, we went to this restaurant and it was like a kid friendly restaurant and they served just mule free. So mussels yeah. and fries was the kid food. I mean, in America, we think about it like some sort of fancy bistro thing. There, it's totally kid food. And I was thinking about it, like eating food out of a shell. Yeah. What's more kid-friendly than that? And I think it's it's it was it just opened my eyes to like, wow, this is totally fun kid food. And if you if you bring it to the table like that and you sort of change your assumptions around it, plus it's super sustainable. I mean, mussels are one of the most sustainable seafood as well. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those like win, 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 win things. And it's like, why are we not all doing this? You know? Yeah. Three cheers for mussels for sure. So what are some of your other um, favorite seafood recipes in the book? Uh, well, I like a lot of the, you know, the soups as well. Like there's a sort of take on a like Thai fish soup. Um, mm. You know, I think that people often forget that, you know, seafood can do really well in a super stew, which, you know, right now when it's cold, I think everybody really needs that. And it, you know, cooks super well. And again, it retains the moisture if it's cooking in a stew of some kind. I also love like there's a pistachio pesto crusted flounder, which you could really do with any inexpensive flaky white fish. And I I mean, I love really pesto. I mean, just take like a fat, a nut, some herbs olive oil, you know, blend it up and stick it on top of a piece of fish and you've got, you know, an entire meal and flavor. Because again, those those sort of like thin flaky white fish can really absorb the flavor of what you're doing. Um, So, you know, I love that with just like a little bit of couscous and it's, it's so easy. And again, there's some recipes in here which look like you could serve them or I mean, look fancier than they are, you know, and that like anything crusted anything, it seems so fancy, but it's like, we just blended some stuff in a blender and threw it on top of a fish and stuck it under the broiler. The end. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love, love, love that. And actually I have a, I love prepared pesto. So I'll make pesto 
whenever I have leftover herbs, I just like throw it in a blender because I don't want to waste them. Um, but I also buy pesto all the time and there, I usually buy it in the refrigerator section. So I don't really love the jarred one because it doesn't taste as fresh. Yeah. And then I, any extras I freeze in ice cube trays, yes. pop it out. And I have this recipe that I just like, it was one of those, like I'm on my own for dinner tonight. What should I make? I don't know. And I just took, I had nothing in my fridge except some frozen fish, which I pop took out and a, a frozen cube of pesto. And I thawed those things and I put um, the pesto with a little panko breadcrumbs and I just put it on top of the fish and broiled it. <laughs> and it was amazing. And it's been one of my like go-to recipes. So right. to your point, just pesto. Right. A panko t- is also like uh, one of the greatest ingredients of all time. I mean, it's pesto- just that crunch. Yeah. It's like you just get crunch. It's light. It's yeah. So, everything. so I would qual I would qualify pesto as this high impact flavor ingredient. So you call for that as one of your like big tips for making these meals that don't taste like shortcuts, but are so yeah. high flavor, high impact flavor ingredients, these kind of power flavors, pesto. What are some more of these that people should have in their cupboard that people should consider um, yeah. really well, using? And, and the, variety of what is available to people now is really unbelievable. I mean, I I think that soy sauce, fish sauce, anchovy paste, and miso paste are kind of the things that I will throw into anything. You know, I think people sort of hear those words and they're like, oh, fish sauce is so strong. Anchovy paste is so strong. But if you use it just a little bit, it really adds an unctuousness that you wouldn't be able to name to almost anything. And I think especially when you're talking about 15-minute meals, where you don't necessarily have time to caramelize onions or, you know, braise a meat, sort of the things that can typically give you that like depth of flavor. Um, I would recommend like throwing a little bit of fish sauce on everything. It doesn't, you know, everyone thinks it's like, oh, it has to be an Asian flavored thing. And it's like, no, you know, anchovy paste, fish. I mean, it, it just added into anything. But I also think that culturally we've gotten to a place where we now have access to ingredients that we didn't before that have such, I don't want to say bang for the buck, but like bang for the time, you know, like goju chang, tamarind paste, um, you know, chili crisp that everybody now seems to have, you know, it's the, all of these things have proliferated. And so it's like, you know, harissa, I mean, these are these spice blends, these sauces that again, like maybe you could find them, but not in high quality. And now there are so many, you know, small brands, high quality brands. And yes, okay, you're buying a jar of something, but that jar means you're not buying 10 different spices. So people are sort of nervous to kind of step, spend money on the one thing that feels expensive, but it creates every, I mean, again, we want to talk about fish. I mean, spread a little bit of tamarind paste on a piece of fish and a little bit of salt and like you don't need anything else you know so um i think that sort of exploring these flavors and again like if you're somebody who lives somewhere where you say well my grocery store doesn't have a big international section go on amazon it's two days away you know like all of these sauces they're they're shelf stable until you open them so you can order them so i just you know i say in the book like we're living in this golden age of ingredients and i really believe that because what we have access to now is so much wider than ever before. And 
so we are extremely lucky and we can add so much flavor and create. I mean, I think for me, a lot of it is just the feeling of sameness all the time. So if you have some of these flavors, you can create completely different meals with almost the same ingredients, but just use one. Like if you make one meal with harissa and ground chicken and stick it in a taco, and then you make, you know, ground chicken with kimchi and stick it in a taco, those are going to taste like extremely different meals, even though every ingredient is the same, except for that sort of one powerhouse ingredient. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And I need to get in on that. I have tamarind paste, but I haven't really dug into using it. So I need to do that. So thank you for that inspiration. I'm definitely going to do that. And I totally agree. It is really interesting how you can just take these basic ingredients, chicken taco as your base, and then just like turn it into so many different things. Right. I mean, and, and that's kind of like, you know, there's little badges in the book um, that represent different things. You know, one of them is like one bowl or one of them is like no cutting or, you know, sort of all the things you would sometimes be looking for. But one of them is this sort of mix and match badge. And it's really that it's like, these are flavors that could work in a rice bowl, in a taco, over greens, if you want it to be a salad, you know, and we often think of like a recipe in a cookbook as like having to exist exactly as the recipe it is. And then of course, if you look on the comments in recipes, it's like hilarious and be like, I changed 12 things and it doesn't work. But um, oftentimes it will work if you kind of keep those bases and then swap things in and out, you know, it just gives you a little bit of variety in your life. Yeah. And it's fun to play. I mean, you can just, it gives you that sense of creativity around it and personalization, which makes cooking pleasurable and like a good, a nice part of life. So, so it doesn't have to be so prescriptive. I mean, and it does take a little time to start feeling comfortable with recipes before you can do that. So there's no, you know, pressure either way, but I feel like people should be free to play. I mean, my motto is how bad could it be? Right. <laughs> it's probably not going to be that. It really is my motto, honestly. Right. And it frees me up to try things that might seem crazy or whatever, but that's how you discover and that's how you get creative. Right. Well, that's, I mean, sometimes the best ideas come from the most abject failures. So <laughs> it's true. Try it, you know, and it <laughs> might work, it might not. And I mean, I, listen, like having little kids, I mean, there are days where they're like, I mean, I made a shrimp thing the other night and one of my daughters was like, I don't like shrimp. And I'm like, well, that's like objectively not true because, you know, like a week and a half ago, you ate something with shrimp and loved it, you know, but so it also like, but in some ways that capriciousness like is freeing because it's like, you might hate it even if it's something that I made last week that you love. So I might as well try something new. (laughs) Oh, I like that take (laughs) because it's a power thing. I remember my, I would make something for my daughter that she had just eaten like a huge, huge yeah. mound of and asked for seconds the week before. And maybe it took a little extra time and effort and I made it for her again. And I, I don't care for that because I taught her not to say yuck or whatever. I don't <laughs> care for that. And then literally I'm like in my under the table, wringing my hands, gritting my teeth, but I'm smiling and I'm saying, okay, more for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I just, they, they start to do this power thing right? Because it becomes their one thing they can control is what they will or will not eat. So I love your take on it though, of like, okay, well, in that case, that being the case, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm just going (laughs) to make what I want to make and you can eat it 
or don't eat it and be hungry. Like, I don't, I mean, whatever, but this is totally my parenting strategy as well. I love it. I'm like, I know that some people, some people are like, yes. And some people are like, oh my God, she sends her kids to bed hungry. But I just, I, I never had a choice growing up. You know, my parents didn't give me choice. There are a few things that are like absolute no goes. Like my son truly hates beets. Like they make him want to throw up. So I don't make beets like, okay. But once a year I make him like, try it again to see. And I mean, now it's pretty, he hates them. It's fine. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like just try stuff. And right. If you don't like it, it's just one meal of your life, you know? like Right. And it's, it's, if he doesn't like them, that's one thing. It's not just like capriciousness that he's exactly. It's not just I hate shrimp today. <laughs> today at this moment. <laughs> oh dear, that's so funny. So I just want to kind of give a little bit of a roundup here of these, you know, tips and tricks for flavorful 15-minute meals. No prep or low prep veggies, thinner cuts of protein, fish. Mm-hmm high impact flavor ingredients that you can just travel the world in a jar basically, or a few jars, uh, shortcut products that are, you know, healthful, like frozen and canned items that are just better than ever. Um, the broiler is your friend. So take advantage of that. And another tip you give is to just have a sharp knife. I mean, I think people are like afraid of sharp knives, but so you time in your prep time here in this 15 minutes. Some people might take a little longer if they're not so comfortable cutting things, but having a sharp knife either way will help you. It will help you. I mean, I I will say that one of the things I always do with my cookbooks, but was especially important for this one is I have, I mean, I literally just go on Facebook and say like, who wants to test recipes? Like I don't have professional recipe testers. I have people recipe test. I mean, not that recipe testers aren't people. Um, <laughs> D. Allie Rosen dehumanizes recipe testers. Recipe testers. Headline at six. Um, and so, I mean, in, in this round, it was really like, did it work? Did you like it? And did it actually take 15 minutes? Because the speed at which I could make something, I, I imagine, should be faster than a person who, you know, and so, I mean, what I say in this book is, if you make it more than once, it, they will all be 15 minutes. I mean, I, the first time where you're getting used to it and whatever, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I really, it is not a, you know, my husband would always be like, you're setting your timer, but you're not moving very rapidly, you know? And I'm like, well, it's not a timer, like ready, set, go and try to get in under 15 minutes. I'm like, if I move at my normal pace, is it under 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> like, so, you know, there's not a lot of chopping. I mean, you'll notice it's, it's, I've really minimized the chopping. Um, but there are some things like one of my favorite recipes is this charred cabbage again with the broiler, um, with a whipped feta and like a hot honey drizzle over it. Yum. Um, you know, which like, okay, like, cut, like cutting up a cabbage, that is something that for me takes less than two minutes, it might take somebody else five minutes, you know, and that, but again, if your knife is sharp, it will dramatically reduce the amount of time. And and I think people are um, scared or snobby about electric knife sharpeners, you know, they think like, oh, well, this isn't the right way to do it. And I'm going to wreck my knives. I mean, the amount that you would have to sharpen your knives to like, wear them down enough, even with an electric knife sharpener is 
not realistic. Um, you can sharpen your knives with an electric sharpener every week for years and years and years, and you will be fine. And, you know, it's faster. I mean, it's just, it's easier. And not everybody has time to do a wet stone and not everybody has a knife guy and all of these things. So again, it's one of those, like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Like just buy an electric knife sharpener and sharpen your knives once a month, you know, like, and that will make all of your cutting much faster. I mean, and again, like anything that you are using a serrated knife for because your regular knife, like can't go through it. Like that is a sign that your knife is not sharp enough, you know, like, and, and I am guilty of that with tomatoes and serrated knives, you know, fine if I don't feel like sharpening my knife, but you know, a sharp knife should be able to cut through a tomato without it, you know, smashing the whole thing down. So um, yeah, sharpen, sharpen knives, sharp your knife, sharpen your knife. It's also safer, safer to actually use a sharp oh, knife. Yeah. Yeah. It's less likely to slip. Yeah. yeah, I know. So before we wrap up here, I need to talk about recipe for second chances because so my friend Allie Rosen here is not only an incredible chef and cookbook author and, and all other things, she is also a novelist. So you blow me away. And, um, your book Recipe for Second Chances is a novel about, um, oh, it's about love and it's about girl, it's about friendship. And I mean, I'm about halfway through it, so I don't know how it ends, <laughs> yeah, but it's really wonderful. And I'm so proud of you. So I think we can guess that there's, I think, I think we can advertise that it has a happy ending. I mean, oh, I think that's part of the the expectation of the genre, right? Like you wouldn't go to see a rom-com. Um, if you were going to be depressed after. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's, although, you know, I love the film past lives and that uh, is a romance that has a very ambiguous, you know, um, but yeah. Recipe for second chances is my little, you know, ode to love and friendship and Italy. I mean, it's set in Umbria and so it's a lot of food. It's a lot of conviviality. It takes place at an, Italian wedding with an Indian bride. So it just has food galore and color and brightness. And so it's just, it's meant to be kind of a fun romp while also I think exploring the difficulties of aging as women and coming into our own and seeing ourselves and, you know, what friendships can do for that. So it's, yeah, it's fun. Thank you. It's really that. great. So check it out. Check out Recipe for Second Chances. That's Allie's novel. And also definitely check out her new book, which is 15-Minute Meals, Truly Quick Recipes That Don't Taste Like Shortcuts. So thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks with us and for being here and the great conversation. And uh, where can people find out more about you? My website is Allie-Rosen.com and I'm on Instagram. I mean, I, I'm most active on Instagram at Allie underscore Rosen because Allie Rosen was taken by a bikini fitness model. So <laughs> I have an underscore too. So yeah, exactly. it's like underscores like, unite. I'm like, find the original Allie Rosen. But yeah, so that's, that's where you can find me. Thank you so much. So great to talk with you. You too. Thanks for joining me. I hope you have come away with some new tools and inspiration for making fast, flavorful meals. See you next time for another One Real Good Thing.